Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. because I'm old and I broke my hip yeah you know and you know what the worst part about breaking my hip was realizing that that's an old person's thing I always pictured people that break their hip are old and frail and and I broke my hip but it wasn't because I was old and frail it because I was an idiot I was carrying my grandson's high chair with the metal legs sticking straight out and I was in a hurry and talking to somebody and I banged into the wall and I ricocheted off and smashed myself onto the ceramic floor and I broke my hip. And, and I was laying there waiting for the ambulance to come and, but I'm, I'm, I think ahead and I said to Joe, get my phone and my charger. <laughs> I knew I was going to be there for a while. God forbid I should be without this. It is my lifeline. But my granddaughter who was five, she heard that I went in an ambulance and all she ever does, she hears ambulances and whirring and stuff and it sounds all so exciting. She says, you went in an ambulance? Did you say wee? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, so last time I was here, you were in a school and now voila, look at this. Is this cool or what? You got a place to grow and spread out. You don't have to set up every Sunday morning. This is beauty. This is great. I, um, I think you know, if you, how many have not heard me before? Oh, a whole bunch of you. <laughs> they don't even know I'm mentally ill. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Well, I like to share with people that, I, that I've recently discovered my gift because I think God gives us all a gift, right? It's obvious what Marissa's gift is. She can sing like an angel. And some people just, you know, they can just do everything so well. And I know some women who, when they invite people to their home for a meal, they have a theme. A theme. My theme is, can I find all the Tupperware? I don't have a theme. And I see all these gifted people and all these wonderful things. I think, okay, God, what is my gift? And I, I, maybe I shared with you the last time I was here, but I do have a gift. And I'd like you to, to share that with me. I, I have the gift of being pathetic. It's not great, but it's all I have to work with. All I've done really well is mess up in my whole life. And so I decided if you're going to fail all the time, do it with flair. So it's become my, my gift. And I, I'm glad I didn't demonstrate it for you by falling this morning. I have fallen on platforms. I have um, fallen outside going upstairs in front of people. I have... Oh, the list goes on and on and on. But one of the things that made me look, makes me look really stupid is often, oh, maybe I told you this time the last time, my story about my car. See, I, I don't know what I drive. It's black. I, th I think. <laughs> yeah, the, the last one was navy. This one is black. And... Uh, so I don't know what it's called. My husband looks at a car. He knows the year. He knows the name and all that stuff. I know nothing. 
And secondly, when I parked the black car at a mall, anybody with me here? And I come out, and I have no idea where it is. Now, there are people who always know exactly where their car is. I've met them. They're not common. Is there anyone here who doesn't struggle to find their car when coming out of the mall? Yeah, see, yeah, see. Yeah, I admire you. I, I, I can't relate to you, but I admire you. And you know, my husband has said, Joanne, just, just note where you are before you go in. Yes, yes, that, that is what I will do. But I never remember. So in this little town where we were pastoring, I came out uh, of the mall ready to look for my car, and I get this uh, stupid look on my face. I, I get the little clicker out. That's the uh, technical term. <laughs> and I began the search. And I know I get a stupid look on my face because a man pulled up and he said, you look like you lost your car, lady. I said, I did. <laughs> he said, let me help you. What do you drive? <laughs> I am so tired of looking like an idiot. Jessica's used to it, but I... <laughs> I'm kidding. She's darling. But I'm so tired of looking stupid, I thought, oh, just, you know, let me look for it by myself. I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. And, and then I said, no, just a minute, just a minute. We had had that car for about six years. And I said, I must know where it is. Somewhere buried in the recesses of mind, I know what I drive. What does Joe call it? What does Joe call it? Think, think, you're not an idiot. And I came up with the name. And I told him, and I would tell you right now if I could remember. But I told him what I drove, and I told him what color it was, and he said, I'll help you find it. And I thought, no, 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 I, I like to look stupid by myself. <laughs> he says, no, I'll help you. So he's walking across the parking lot, and he's looking, and we ain't seeing nothing. And finally he says, uh, do you remember where you came in? <laughs> no. I'm not even naturally blonde. Why do I act so stupid? And I felt so silly. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. And he's looking and looking and looking. He finally goes, boy, I, I don't see anything like it. And I said, neither do I. And I said, oh, my soul. I just remembered I walked. <laughs> Jess thinks I tell jokes. No, no, no. This is my life. <laughs> I don't have to make nothing up. I, um, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church. From the time I was a kid. Did anybody here actually grow up in a Pentecostal church? Not too many. Well, if you have, like Pentecost is interesting. My grandfather was one of the first Pentecosts in, in Canada. And, it, and it's, um, you know, when, when, when theologians look at it today, they recognize at the turn of the century when Pentecost came into being that it um, was almost as significant, well, some say more, significant than the Reformation. It changed the way people worshipped. It changed the church. And, and, and it was great. And we had this fabulous theology of, uh, of triumphalism, victory. And, you know, my grandfather used to always say, there's a problem in the house. Just pray about it. Just You just claim and you just pray about it. And we, we did good stuff with this. This was good. But we, we didn't really develop a thought, theology of suffering. It's kind of hard for Pentecostals to know what to do with suffering because we just so want to be happy all the time. 
We just, you know, the joy of the Lord is my, that's scripture. And it's true. I didn't get it, but it was true. But then some idiot added a verse. I hope the author of that song verse is not in this room. But some idiot added a verse that said, if you want joy, you can jump for it. That's stupid. You know, I was morbidly obese and suicidal, and I didn't want to jump for joy. But, you know, you do what you got to do. They, they just like you to just be happy. And our, and our, and our pastors used to say things like, so is everybody happy tonight? I think, no, I'm suicidal. But you can't say that because that doesn't sound very spiritual. And so we just haven't really known what to do all the time with suffering. What we want to do when people say they're suffering is just bring them up to the altar and, you know, just zap them with the stuff. You know, do the thing. You pray over them and you claim it and you, whoo, and it's just fabulous. And um, I used to do that all the time and my depression never went away. But I'm not even centering on depression today and mental illness. I do have CDs that talk about my whole story of depression and, and that for people who are interested. But I'm talking more about not just depression, but pain in general, things that we go through, the, the, the agony of life at times. And what do we do with all that stuff? Especially when we come from this tradition of, of praise and gratitude and, 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 and victory, which is all part of it, yes. But we, we don't know what to do with the suffering. We, we maybe, maybe we need to develop our ability to incorporate some lament into our services. We need a place to cry and pray where we are not condemned for feeling desperate. I mean, the Bible is full of lament. Out of the Psalms, they, you know, it's about 50-something, I think, that are lament. And many of them were written by David. Oh, God, where are you? I'm surrounded by my enemies. What are you doing? I'm crying out for you, and you're not showing up. You know, if we say that today, often, not always, but often people will come up to you and say, oh, come on, come on, you know who we are in Jesus? Just stop it. Just be grateful. No, I want to cry. <laughs> we don't think that sounds very spiritual. I heard a song a couple years ago, and it caught me. It gripped me because... It didn't leave you with a, uh, the, I've got the words I want to, the guy said, um, I look the part, I blend in with the rest of the church crowd, I know the routine, I could list all the Bible studies in town, I watch Christian TV, I know all the preachers and their cliches, and I have been born again, and I know without a doubt that I'm saved, but sometimes I cry, sometimes I hurt. Sometimes I can't get it right, no matter how hard I seem to try. Sometimes I fall down and stumble over my own disguise. I try to look strong as the whole world looks on. But sometimes, alone I cry, and I'm sorry. I did not know that emotion was going to come up this morning. But 
We're going through stuff. And I wondered why that song hit me so much. Because it's not the kind of song when he finishes that you can go, amen. Sometimes you cry. Beautiful. And, and you think he should have come around to say, but I have everything. No, he just leaves it there. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes I hurt. Sometimes I can't get it right no matter how hard I seem to try. Sometimes I fall down and stumble over my own disguise. While the whole world looks on, I try to be strong, but sometimes I cry. Well, when he finishes that song, I've seen him do it in, in uh, concert. Nobody knows where to go with it. Okay. So, <laughs> that's beautiful. Sometimes we need a place to cry and admit that we don't know what the heck's going on. We don't know where God is. We don't know why he's not showing up. And you know, the best place to admit all that and to cry that all out is in the presence of God. Tell him. David did. All kinds of writers in the Bible did that. We have a whole book of lamentations. The best place in the world to go is right to him and say, you know, do you know what's going on? You don't seem to be looking. You don't seem to be caring. But see, you're saying this all to the one you know you can trust. You see? So you cry it out in his presence and we lament and we grieve and it's all part of healing and it's all part of who we are. And one of our best examples of what to do when you feel overwhelmed is Jesus himself on the cross. Now, it doesn't get any worse than it was for Jesus at that moment. I mean, I think I've suffered, but I don't know from suffering when I look at that. Why am I talking like this? I'm not even Jewish. I don't know from suffering. You know what, that's called for a drink. I, could I have my iced coffee? Is this rude? Oh, good. I'm glad you said that because ever since my chemo, I hate hot coffee, but I like iced coffee. Doesn't make sense, does it? It's just the way I live. Um, so what was I saying? Anybody? Where was I going? Oh, yeah. Why, why am I talking like this? Yeah. So it doesn't get any worse than it does for Jesus on the cross. I mean, first of all, the guys he'd been walking with for three years and teaching didn't get it. They didn't get it. Most of them were away hiding. John seemed to be around at the cross, but it seems like most of the others took off. Remember Peter? I don't know. I've never saw him before in my life. His dear friend. They didn't get it. And add to that the physical pain that I can't even imagine. Unbelievable, overwhelming, excruciating. And then add to that the spiritual pain. He took on himself the sin of the world. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sure must feel awful. He who knew, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. 
And then add to that, he didn't sense God with him. Those, those horrifying words in scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. You know, sometimes I think if, if some people today who teach the way they do, they might have stood at the cross and say, no, stop that. You know who you are better than anybody. Now, come on. You know where this is going. Just praise the Lord. He felt forsaken by the Father. Now, I don't believe for a moment he was forsaken. I had great discussions with my profs in seminary about this. Some say that he was and God turned his face. I don't believe he did. Because in his humanity, God was, he was all God and all man. What does that mean? But I believe it's true. And in his humanity, I think because he took the sin of the world upon him, he could no longer sense the presence of the Father. Did God turn his back on him? At that moment, God was opening graves and ripping the veil in the temple in two. And if you don't know what that means, talk to me after. And, and all kinds of stuff was going on. And he was, he was, in fact, busier than he had ever been. This was the climax of his salvation for his people. But Jesus is crying, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm suggesting to you that from this, it is not sinful to cry out in your pain. It's okay to do that. Do it to him. And you know, if you ever see somebody, sometimes you'll meet someone and they'll say, you know, I'm just a, Everything's going wrong. I'm just so upset and I just can't handle it alone. Sometimes the temptation is, oh, come on, come on now. Come on. Just begin to praise the Lord. And you know what? Stop it. Well, there, there's a time for that. And I know, and, and I have learned in some of my darkest nights to praise the Lord. Oh, yes, that is good. But the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Let them feel the pain. Let them experience. Is this okay, what I'm saying? Because it sounds kind of weird. Let them experience the pain. I mean, anytime I feel like maybe I'm saying something I shouldn't, I think of David. He cried out his pain. So... Here's Jesus feeling betrayed, feeling uh, forsaken by the Father. Unbelievable pain, spiritually, emotionally, physically. But when you look at what he did when he felt that way, first of all, there's no shame in crying out. But then secondly, what did he do? Well, he, he looked after his family. He looked down from the cross and he said, Mom, John will be like a son to you. John, look after Ma. Even in his agony, when he didn't know what else to do, he looked after the things he was given to do. Such a simple thing, but that really helped me sometimes when I was in, in deepest, deepest depression. And I had little kids and I'd get to the point sometimes where I couldn't do it anymore. But while I could do it, I would think, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I think, just look after your family. Do the things you were given to do. 
Oh, that's not always easy. My kids, I had three kids that were born in three years. And we'll put that down to mental illness. One day stands out in my mind. My baby's in the little chair, full of poo, crying her, his head off. The toddler is standing there crying with her diapers down to her knees. They were so heavy. And the three-year-old standing there crying because he had an accident. And I remember thinking my entire life revolves around human feces. <laughs> and I had had it. And I actually held on to the fridge and said, leave me alone. <laughs> Mother of the year. <laughs> but, but generally when I was depressed and as long as I could, I kept telling myself, it's not up to you to suddenly make this better. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where God is. I don't know why he's not helping, but I'm just going to look after my family, do what I've been given to do as long as I can. I'll do what I think he wants me to do. How did you do that in sign language? The poo and all. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> anyway. So he looked after his family. He quoted the scriptures he'd learned since childhood. You know when he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit? Do you know that's a prayer that Jewish mothers taught their little boys to pray? Kind of like our now I lay me down to sleep. They were taught to pray, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And here in his deepest hour of agony, he is quoting what he has learned all his life. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. I remember walking through my house when my kids were little with tears coming down my eyes and I didn't think I would be able to make another day and I'd be holding my Bible in front of me and I remember walking back and forth and saying, he has loved me with an everlasting love. He will never leave me or forsake me. Remind yourselves of the, the scriptures and the truth you've heard all your life. And then he's praying for the very people who are hurting him. Hello. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. That's hard, especially if your pain is coming from some horrid thing that's been thrown at you. Father, forgive them. And that's a whole sermon in itself. And then we'll skip to the part where he says, um, when he ministered to the man beside him, can you minister? When you're feeling broken? Yeah. Because even when life is lousy, God is good. And the truth does not remain, does remain the same regardless of how you feel. Oh, but that's hard to do. I know. But you know, I remember so many times when I was still in depression, but not yet to the point. Sometimes I would reach the point where I had to go to my room and I didn't come out for a couple days. But while I was still functioning... I would often minister to people or talk about Jesus. One time we lived in Montreal and I'm downtown. And this is before I got medication. Oh, I did get medication. <laughs> Trust me. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but before I had medication, I was feeling down and 
still functioning, but not feeling well. And I had to go downtown. I had to get some things, you know, look after your children, look after your family. I had stuff to do. And we only had one car. And Joe said, well, I'll pick you up at this monument, uh, this park in the middle of the city. He said, I'll pick you up there. Okay. So I got my things and still heavy hearted, you know, I went and sat at the monument, waited for Joe. And this homeless man came up to me. I presume, if you go by smell. Have you ever been close enough to a homeless person to know that smell? I hope you have. I hope you have. I keep, I keep buying that right. Because, you know, when uh, people come up to you on the street sometime for things, and everybody's got their own way of dealing with it. And some people say, well, I'm not going to give them money because you're going to spend it on alcohol or drugs. And I'm not going to, or you have a better plan. Or, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever you think. But me, I buy an opportunity to look them straight in the eyes. Because one of the biggest things they say, people who live like that never get looked in the eye because people don't see them as worthy. Even if they think they'll drop them a little bit of stuff, they don't really want to connect. So by giving the money, and I'm not chintzy. I want their attention. Then I could look them right in the eyes and say, wow, did you know that Jesus is crazy about you? And I tell them, I say, you know, honest to the truth, he's all around us. And you can talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. Anytime you want, call on him. Talk to him. See what happens. So I, I do that kind of stuff. So, so this, this guy came and sat beside me. And he says, you got any money? Well, I didn't. So I even opened my wallet to show him. See, look, honest, I don't have any. I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't have any. I said, but oh, did you know that Jesus is all around us? Do you know that he really, really loves you? And the guy said, well, yeah. Well, what's he ever done for me? Because I'm hungry. And I said, so tell him. Tell him you're hungry. And I, I know some of you are thinking, like, ooh, dear. Ooh, this could be dangerous. What if he does and nothing happens? God's going to look bad. Don't worry about God. God's fine. You know, the only thing, it, it would have been really stupid if I said to him, you ask God for food and a picnic basket is going to come down from the sky. That's not faith, that's stupid. So I just said, tell him. And so honestly, I guess he was just had enough alcohol in him to be a little uninhibited. And he threw his head back and he said, okay, God, I'm hungry. And then when I looked at him, I said, look, if you meant that and you weren't just putting that on for me, like if you really meant that, God heard you. I don't know what he's going to do about it. I don't know how he's going to answer, but keep your eyes and ears open because God heard you. Keep calling him. Keep telling him stuff. You see, I don't know what God will do and I don't have to see what he does, but I do believe God hears the cry of every broken heart. I believe that with all my heart. How he handles it, how he responds, I don't know. But I'm convinced if that man meant that and went on crying out to God, that he'd start hearing something back. But I don't have to see it. But you know what I did? I, I did get to see it. 
This businessman, I presume, by his dress, he was wearing a nice suit and briefcase and looked very sharp and handsome, and he's walking down the street. And I guess we caught his peripheral vision, you know, a fat housewife and a drunk. <laughs> sort of opened your eyes. And he came walking over to us. He said, I've just been to the deli. I've got some cold meat and rolls, and I haven't got time to eat it. Could you use this? Yeah. I said, you see? You see? And, you know, I told him some more stuff and told him where he could go for help and everything. But I was not feeling well myself. But I still knew who God was. And even in my depression at that moment, I felt this spark inside me of the Holy Spirit saying, you see who I am. You see, I'm still there. You see what's going on, Joanne? Like, I've heard God created the world in seven days. God parted the Red Sea. But I got to see up close the God of the universe stop and feed a homeless man. That's what I got to see. Now, I was raised in an old-fashioned Pentecostal church. And back in the day, we were loud. I don't know if there's people here who have never really uh, seen those times, but we were loud. And our preachers, I don't know where they got it, but they got this voice on them. And so tonight, my brothers and sisters, you know, they do that thing. And we didn't learn it in Bible college, so I'm not really sure where they got it, but it was this thing. And then the people were always like, amen, amen, hallelujah. And it was kind of fun. I kind of miss it sometimes. So we're going to pretend this morning that we are a Pentecostal church from the 50s, okay? So I'm just going to try that last line again. I have found, my brothers and sisters, that even when you do not know where God is, He is there. Woo! See? And I see a hanky going. That's what we did too. I don't know why, but we waved hankies. Oh, it was sweet. Anyway, back to us. You preach it. Oh, you think the early Pentecostals were good. You should preach in a Pentecostal Jamaican church. Are there any Jamaicans here today? Are you Jamaican? Oxtail soup, jerk chicken, and dumplings, man. Oh. And I preached in a Jamaican Pentecostal church, and I thought, oh, I've seen it all. I was Pentecost in the 50s. But, oh, I had not seen Pentecost in Jamaica. It was amazing, but I haven't got time to tell you the story. But it was really cool. They talk right back to you. And if they like what you say, they just stand up and point at you. Mm. Oh, you've got to try it, Jess. You're going to love it. It's going to bring out the preach in you. But anyways, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Feeling lousy, feeling depressed, but there was a spark of something inside me that says, I am here. I have not deserted you. I have not forsaken you. I am here. So you can minister to people around you. You look after your family. You pray the prayers you've learned since childhood. And you forgive the very people who are bringing you pain. That's what he did, and that is a good... I'll tell you, I heard somebody preach that when I was 30. 
and I didn't get medication or help for my depression until I was 40. I believe those points helped me survive from 30 to 40. Because I didn't, I didn't know what to do with the pain. I didn't know what to do with it, so I did what Jesus did. Okay, I'm going to keep ministering whenever I can. I'm gonna look after my family the best I can. Oh, I know some of you have been through clinical depression are saying, how could you always keep that up? I couldn't always. But when I could, I believe it saved my life, quite literally. But you know, after Jesus died, I've often thought about the people who saw that and what they went through on Saturday. Because some of those people that stood there watching, and I'm just guessing, but if I wonder if any of them ever thought, no, no, I met him, he changed my life, I know he's the Messiah, so he's not going to die up there. We've seen him raise people from the dead, we've seen him heal people. I wonder if they said to some of their friends, you watch, any minute now he's going to get himself down, you watch. Any minute now, he's not going to let this happen. He's going to get down off the cross and show them who he is. And I wonder if that hope kept swelling up in them while they watched him suffer. And then they watched him die. What? I thought you were the one. I thought, I thought, I thought. Look, what did they go through on that Saturday? They didn't know what was coming the next day. We know, so it's easy for us. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't get it. But the despair must have been huge. You know, I, I read the most beautiful story I have ever read a couple weeks ago by a woman named Aubrey Sampson. She's a writer. She lives in Chicago. And she was grieving the death of a loved one. And she suffers chronic pain. And then she was in financial crisis and everything was coming down and she was just overwhelmed. And her friend said, look, this, there's this choir in town going to put on a thing, a Christian choir. Let's go hear it. And she thought, yeah, let's get out of the house. Let's, let's, I need a break. So they went to, there was a theater in the round in Chicago. And this choir filed up all dressed in black. And they began to sing, sing an ancient funeral dirge, a lament song, saying, God, where are you? Why didn't you show? I have looked for you, and you have not shown up. And while that you know, lament was going on, behind them on the screen, they showed a picture of a mother and child dying of starvation. They showed pictures of child soldiers. They showed pictures of calamities and distress and anguish all over the world while this lament was going on. And this lady's thinking, why did I come here? And of course, as she's watching it, her own pain is rising to the level. And she said the place was filled with pain. And she's thinking, this was a big mistake, really big, huge. And they're watching it and lamenting and grieving. But she hadn't noticed while they were she was lost in thoughts that another choir had come in and surrounded the room. And very softly in the background, while this lament was still going on and those horrifying pictures were still being shown, behind them softly, they started to sing things like, um, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit 
who's given us new life. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe he conquered death. I believe in the resurrection. He's coming back again, I believe. The funeral dirge is still going on. They're looking pain in the face. They don't try to sugarcoat it. There it is. It's ugly, and it's happening, and I don't know what to say. She said one of the, the things about this suffering place was it led her to a place she didn't want to go. It wasn't just the grief and the pain. It was this thought. I thought you'd show up. I've been a Christian for years. I've walked with you. I thought you were going to show up and rescue me. Where are you? She said she didn't even want to say it out loud because that makes it too real. But we've all been there, haven't we? So this song of hope was singing up around her. It started to get louder. It started to get louder. And pretty soon, even they were looking, still while looking pain in the face, the, the song around them became so loud, it, it covered up the sound of the suffering. And they were looking suffering in the face and still saying, I believe in the crucifixion. I believe you conquered death. I believe in the resurrection. I believe you're coming again. God does not ignore your pain or your agony. He sings a louder song over it. And he invites his people to sing along. I don't get the stuff that's going on in my life. I don't get it. And I've said to God, I don't get this and I'm tired. And I'm tired of trying to pretend it's okay. I know a strong Christian just says, you know, I'll just get through this and I'll trust God. But I'm tired of should. He, should. I'm tired I should be feeling this. I should be. I don't. I'm hurting. But I believe in God the Father. I believe he is who he said he was. And when the unanswerable remains unanswered, I can still declare suffering does not have the final say. Now that's one of those moments again. We've got to go back to the 50s. When the unanswerable remains unanswered, I can declare suffering does not have the final say. Yeah. Yeah. Come and sing that song. The one that you were doing it then, it talked about a, a firm foundation that we build on and stuff. Um, you're going away. You're leaving me. What, what did I say? Okay, let's not sing it. <laughs> Listen, I would really, really like to open this space up at the front that we call an altar. And for some of you who are hurting like I am today, sometimes alone I cry. He knows. He hears. He does not ignore your pain or your suffering, but he sings a louder song over it, a song of hope, a song that he is coming back, a song, a, a song about suffering does not have the final say, a song about it will be worth it all when we meet Jesus. This will seem like a vapor. It will seem like a cloud. 
cry out your pain to God. And then from somewhere deep inside, let the song ring out. You are worthy. I don't understand you. I don't understand you. But I believe you're who you said you are. And I believe suffering's not going to win. And so I would like some of you today who are hurting like I am or wondering where God is. There's no magic in this, but it does help sometimes to put feet to what we're feeling. And come up here and just say, yeah, God, I've been looking for you too. And my life's falling apart and I don't get it. But suffering will not have the final say. You are still God. And you still hold me and you still carry me. And I'm going to sing that with all of my might even when I don't get it. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.